Bible reading for today is from Matthew 3, verse 13 to 4, verse 11. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Um, I have the privilege of speaking to you tonight about um, food, which we all love. And the lack of food, which I think we're probably less inclined towards. Uh, But I would love God's help as I speak. So I'm going to pray again, and I'd love you to join me in that. Father, thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you that your word is clear. And thank you that your spirit uses it to make us more like your son, Jesus. I ask tonight that you would help us to become more like him. Amen. Food is uh, a very, it's, the, it's a common part of human experience. A few years ago, uh, Time Magazine did this really cool series where they took photos of families with their week of grocery shopping um, in their kitchen from all over the world. Uh, it's a really cool article to look up. I'm going to show you some of the photos right now. This is a family in the UK, and... This is a fa- oh, th- th- there's lots of chocolate I noticed in this one. Uh, go to the next one. This is a family. I think this is in um, uh, Egypt. This is in Egypt. Uh, lots of greenery. Um, this is in Istanbul in Turkey. Again, lots of greenery. Maybe we can click through this quicker now. That's that's Mongolia, um, and it's really cool. You get to see what different people around the world eat. The quantity of food that they eat. Um, this, by the way, go back to that one. Guess what country? <laughs> it's Germany. You can tell from all the beer. <laughs> there's, just, there's almost more beer than food. <laughs> That's so good. Um, anyway, it's so cool to look through these photos because you look through them and you realize that you could be talking to anyone from any country anywhere in the world And if you have nothing to talk about, you'll need to have language, at least, to talk to them, United States. Um, If you talk to... You could talk to them about what they ate. And you could talk to them about what you ate. 
Because this is such a common part of the human experience. There's no one alive who hasn't eaten. Maybe it's breast milk or something like that, but everyone has consumed food. This is just part of being alive. And for me, uh, it's, it's a very, very big part of my life. I think food is one of the most important parts of my life. Uh, my wife, Mia, and I often find ourselves in those couple conversations that you have where you say, how was your day? And then you eventually talk about, what did you eat today? You guys have those conversations where you just talk, you just go through everything that you've eaten in that day. I was actually very proud to find out that uh, Sydney is actually the number one food city in Australia. Take that, Melbourne. <laughs> Seriously, because I know you all thought it was Melbourne, but it's actually Sydney. Broadsheet, TripAdvisor, they agree. Sydney is number one food city in Australia. So food is a massive part of our lives. And food can also be a massive issue in our lives too. Obesity rates worldwide have soared in the 20th century. It's not just in the Western world. It's becoming everywhere in the world that is, going, that is struggling with obesity. In the United States... The fad dieting industry is a $66 billion a year industry. $66 billion a year is given to fad dieting, which is 10 times the uh, GDP of Fiji. Powders, pills, books, subscriptions, meal plans, all that kind of stuff. Food is a massive part of the world that we live in. And then there's the other side of things as well. So there's overeating, but then there's also undereating. Eating disorders are becoming a bigger and bigger problem everywhere. Food is a huge, huge part of our lives. Does the Bible have much to say about food? Last week, Kieran started our new sermon series, which is called Prepare Him Room. And the idea of Prepare Him Room is that as we go into Christmas, um, we're going to prepare for the, the arrival of Jesus by preparing him room in our lives. Um, talking about the practices that make room for Jesus in our lives. So my question tonight is, is there a practice that speaks to this huge part of the human experience? Is there a practice that speaks to this huge part of the human experience? And I'm actually going to tell you there's a few. But before we talk about fasting, because I've been asked to talk about fasting tonight, there's, I think you can't properly understand fasting from the Bible until you've thought about food in the Bible. Because fasting only makes sense in the biblical view of the world if you understand food in the biblical view of the world. So to begin tonight, we're going to talk through, we're going to walk through what does the Bible say about food. And it might surprise you, or might not surprise you, that the first thing it has to say about food is on page one. So page one of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 11, we're told about the day that God made food. Said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And then it says, and God saw what he had made, and it was good. Okay, God saw what he had made, and it was good. And then, later in the chapter, God said to Adam and Eve, who were living in the garden, I give you... Every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit on it with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So the first picture that you get from God of what food is, is that it is good. It's probably no surprises there. I think we know food is a good thing. But what's amazing about this good thing from God is that it's given to us, humanity, as a gift. 
Food is God's gift to humanity to remind us of the goodness of the giver. I'll say that again. Food is God's gift to humanity, to us, to remind us that God is good. And Jesus, actually, Jesus, a few thousand years after this, he picks up on this idea, doesn't he? He says when he prays, he teaches the disciples to pray. He teaches them to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's this recognition that food comes from God. And it's a good gift that he gives us. But we also know that the story in Genesis doesn't end there. Food comes up again in the Genesis narrative, in the garden narrative. I'm sure that you guys remember this story, but I'm going to read it to you again. This is Genesis 3, what we often call the fall or original sin. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, which is a flat-out lie. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her And he ate it. Dun dun dun. But seriously, we got we know that this is this is a bad story in the Bible, and I've heard this story being preached about hundreds of times. I've read it heaps, but it wasn't until earlier this year that I actually thought about this is actually a story about food. I think we're so used to talking about this story in a symbolic sense, and we're used to talking about it in the sense that this is about the downfall and the rebellion of humanity without actually realizing that this center, the center of this story is actually about food and what humanity does with food. Humanity takes this good gift from God and uses it as an, to express rebellion. Think about that. Humanity takes this good gift that God has given them, food, and they use it to express their rebellion against him. And it kind of sets up food in this storyline of the Bible. And we, we, we continue reading through the Bible and we see that food comes up at these key moments when you continue reading the story. So just a couple of chapters later, Noah and his family come off the ark. And do you remember the first thing that happens when he gets off the ark? Give us a hand. Who remembers? Yeah. He plants a vineyard, which is another garden, and he takes its fruit... And he gets drunk with it. He uses food to rebel against God. Just a few chapters after that. Remember how Jacob convinces Esau to give up his blessing from God? Jacob convinces Esau to give up his blessing by tempting him with a big delicious bowl of lentils. I don't know why you're laughing. Lentils are delicious. (laughs) But isn't that food? And so isn't that interesting? He chooses food over God. And we get this happening time and time again. When the Israelites, are, they're, in the, they're in Egypt, and they leave Egypt, God leads them out of Egypt, and he's leading them to the promised land. And do you remember the thing that they grumble about? They grumble about the food. 
They, they, they wish that they had the food that they had back when they were in Egypt. They talk about how good the, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic were. Because they would rather have food than have God. You see that food is not just some kind of fuel for the body in the Bible. Food is this really, really important thing. It's a good gift from God, and we can choose to use food as a way to rebel against God, or we can choose to use food as a way to remember God and give thanks to Him for the good gifts that He's given us. In Deuteronomy, uh, there's this really, really interesting passage. Deuteronomy is the, the, the sermon that Moses preaches before Israel enters the Promised Land. And actually, Deuteronomy says heaps about food. But I'll just read you this little chunk of what he says about food. Hopefully, it'll come up on the screen as well. This is what Moses says. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land where wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey... A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And then he says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So what are we meant to do with the food? We're meant to take the good thing and thank God for it. That's the proper response to food. We don't use food as a way to rebel against God. We take it from God and we recognize the goodness of the one who gave it to us. Um, I love that verse 10 because I often um, will not start my meal by saying grace. And Mia will get me in trouble for that. (laughs) Uh, And I say to her, I'm going to say grace at the end. Because that's when I'm most thankful for the food. (laughs) And I say... Don't you know Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10? (laughs) He says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good food. So there you go. It is okay to say grace at the end of the meal. The Bible says so. So all through the Bible, what you do with food is much more than just fueling your body. Food is not just a casual thing in the Bible. It's a way that you demonstrate your allegiance. You either use food for God by thanking him for it, or you use food to express your rebellion from God. Are you aligned to him or are you aligned to yourself? Just just one more example to show you. Think about Daniel when he goes into exile in Babylon. Daniel was a really smart young man and he's taken off to Babylon into exile and he's living in the king's palace. And they try to tempt him with food. And do you remember, he, he rejects their food And instead, he he resolves not to defile himself with your royal food and wine, he says. Because Daniel knows that what you do with food demonstrates your relationship with the one who gives it. He restricts himself to only eating vegetables. So food is a good gift from God to remind us that God is good for us. Paul picks up on this idea, sorry, 1 Corinthians 8.31. He says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Okay, a lot of, lot of Bible quoting there. What do we do with all of this? Well, before I get to talking to you about fasting and the spiritual practice and the, the, the habit of grace, of fasting, there's actually another habit of grace that I want to talk about tonight. And that habit of grace is called 
grace. Or giving thanks for food. Because it's, it's, it's one thing to talk about the habit where you abstain from food. But I think it's also, most of the time, we won't be fasting, right? Most days of the year, you're just going to be eating. And when you are eating, it's important that you eat like a Christian. And that means thanking God for the food he has given you. So grace. Grace is when we... Uh, grace, it's called grace because we're recognizing that God's gift to us... This food that we have is God's gift to us. That's why we call it grace, because it's a gift. And just like uh, the Israelites, when they enter the promised land, are meant to thank God for the good things that he gives them. We, as Christians... I meant to thank God for the good things that he gives us, especially when we eat. So I don't know if this is a regular habit for you or if it's something that your family does or something that you're in the practice of doing uh, before meals when you eat them. But this is something that we could and should be doing. It's actually it's something interesting. I've been looking at researching grace this week and I've discovered that this is actually something that Christians have been doing uh, since Jesus. Consistently. This has always been a part of what Christians do. We've always given thanks to God for the food that he gives us. Just a couple of examples. Jesus, when he takes the five loaves and the two fish, before he multiplies it for the crowd, he gives thanks for it. When Jesus is preparing his Passover meal, the the communion meal for his disciples, before he breaks the bread, he, he gives thanks for it. This is something that Christians should do. So you have to think about this. How is grace going to become a part of your life? How are you going to take the food that God has given you and realize that this comes from the giver and give him thanks for that? So when you're by yourself, maybe you say grace to yourself. When you're with other people, maybe you say grace with them. Maybe sometimes you'll just say grace by yourself even when you're with other people. That's not for me to judge. Like sometimes It's circumstantial. There'll be good times to do that and there'll be times where it's maybe not so wise. Sometimes you'll say grace before a meal. But I also think it's okay to say grace after a meal. Because like I said before, isn't that when you are most thankful? Especially if the food's good. Maybe if you know the food isn't going to be good, say it before. (laughs) But if you know the food's going to be good, maybe say it after, because you'll be the most thankful. Our food is a reminder that God has been good to us, that he has taken care of us. And I'm going to come back to this in a second, but communion is also a reminder that God has been good to us, that he has taken care of us. Think about the fact that Jesus, he didn't just give us a prayer to pray to remember that he's, been, that he's died for our sins. He gave us a meal to eat to remember that he has died for our sins. So food is a reminder that God has been good to us, and so we should give thanks to him. Now, what about fasting? You know, if, if, if food is good and it's a good gift from God then shouldn't we just all be fatties? Sorry to be crass, but, but, but it, it seems strange that the Bible would instruct you to, to fast after it's told you that food is this wonderful good gift from God. But I want to show you that there's actually a reason, there's a very good reason why we are instructed to fast. And it comes in that story that uh, Sophie had read for us before. So if you've got your Bible open in front of you, that would be really helpful. At the beginning of chapter 4, we're told, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Before we move on, that's a similar scene to what we've already read tonight, isn't it? Yeah? That word wilderness could also be translated garden in some circumstances. So Jesus was led into the trees to be tempted by the devil, the serpent, the tempter. After, 40, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Can you imagine? <laughs> the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, and this is where I think we get our understanding of fasting from. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, food is good, but the one who gives it is better. And that is why we fast. He says that if you, put, if, if, if you have to choose between the words of God and the food from God, you would choose the words of God. And that's more, it's more literally, it's not just words, it says everything that comes from the mouth of God. So the reason that we fast and the reason that we're instructed to fast is because it helps us to remember the giver of the good thing. We abstain from food. We we hold back from eating for a little while to remind ourselves that that good thing comes from God. And He is better than the food we eat. So we fast even though food is good. Because man doesn't live on bread alone. So there's two sides to it, isn't it? When we eat, we eat with gratitude. And when we don't eat, when we fast, we fast to remind ourselves that God is better. He is the best. He is the ultimate hunger and longing of your life. So sometimes, so let's just talk about fasting for a little bit here. What is fasting? Uh, A definition from uh, Dallas Willard he says, it's, fasting is feasting, not on food, but on our Lord and doing His will. Fasting is, simply put, it's just abstaining from eating food for a little while so that you can remember God. It's interesting to notice that fasting is never commanded in the New Testament. There's never a time where Paul says, you must fast. There are plenty of times where he says you should pray and you should love, but he never says you must fast. But there is also an expectation in the way that Jesus teaches that you will fast. Uh, A couple of times in Jesus' life, he said, when you fast, do it this certain way. And he also says that the disciples, Jesus' disciples, will fast. That will be a regular part of their lives. And fasting, I think, is specifically referring to food, I know it's common these days to talk about fasting from technology or fasting from Xbox or something like that. Um, but I would say that that's, that's just abstaining, which is also a really good thing to do, by the way. But that's not the practice of fasting. Fasting is specifically about food because food is this really special thing that God has given us. Fasting is not dieting. It's, uh, it's become really popular lately to do this thing called intermittent fasting. Um, which is basically just not eating for a period of time as a way of dieting. That, that's not spiritual. That's not this fasting that the Bible talks about because the goal of that isn't God. The goal of intermittent fasting is typically looking better. 
um, or something like that. So that's what fasting is. Why should we do it? Well, firstly, we should do it because Jesus thought that we should. Jesus thought that we should do it. And we should also do it because it's what Christians have been doing since Jesus said that we should do it. It's actually really interesting when you read through the history of Christianity. um, Fasting has been a massive staple of the Christian life until the last couple hundred years in the West, where it's kind of teetered out a little bit. It's very interesting. Uh, We know that from this document that's called the Didache, it's the earliest writing of the church uh, after the New Testament, we know that uh, Christians in the early church fasted twice a week. Fasted twice a week. Uh, A a famous uh, Christian writer, oh, actually, I'll get to him in a second, Lent, uh, we know, many of us will have heard of Lent, and Lent was this festival that went for 40 days leading into Easter. Still, still happens every year. Um, Christians avoided eating in Lent. It's, it's more typically now not so much fasting as, as it is abstaining, but still some people fast today for Lent. Uh, and it's usually a fast from sunrise till sunset. That's traditionally what it was in Christianity. Uh, 40 days leading into Easter, you fast from sunrise to sunset. Um, actually, interestingly, Ramadan, which is the Islamic fasting festival, apparently it was shaped on Lent. They took the idea from Lent because Christians were doing this all over the place um, when Islam started in, this, in the 7th century. A uh, fam- famous Christian writer, a famous Christian thinker, a guy called John Wesley, he said this in the 18th century. I thought this was a funny quote, so I thought I'd read it to you. He says, I fear there are now thousands of Christians, so cold, have, have entirely left off fasting. They are so far from fasting, they don't fast twice a week, they barely even fast twice a month. <laughs> and he, that's like his massive rebuke and calling them out because they don't fast twice a month. And I think this is the moment where we kind of reflect on our Christian practice as a church and as individuals and maybe even as a broader as the broader Christian church in the West, and we think, why is it that fasting has so much fallen off the plate, so to speak? Um, I've been thinking about that this week. I think part of the reason is that we are so used to just having what we want when we want it. We're so used to having food readily accessible. We've gotten lazy we're so we're so trained to uh, to eat and to uh, yeah just indulge that we've forgotten this really really crucial Christian practice established by Jesus. So what do we do about it? Well, I want to encourage you to try fasting. You might have not been surprised to find out that that's the application from this sermon tonight. But I would love you to try it. Now, I recognize that for many of you, doing this is not as simple as just, okay, I'll have a crack at it. Uh, because maybe, maybe you struggle with an eating disorder or something like that. Um, but I think that this is meant to be a part of regular Christian living. So while recognizing that this isn't a command in the New Testament, this is also, like I said, meant to be a part of regular Christian living. Think about how fasting might play a role in your life as a Christian. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like for maybe your community group to do this together or maybe you and your spouse or your family to do this together. 
Um, I was talking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago, a guy called James Dawson. Um, you guys might have heard of him. He, he was telling me... He was telling me that at his new church, which shall not be named, um, no, at Anchor, the pastors, the, the, the pastoral staff at Anchor, once a month, on a Tuesday, the first Tuesday of the month, they all fast, and they pray that the city will be revived, and that people will know the name of Jesus. And I thought to myself, like, as an entry point, that's actually probably a really good way to do it. So you're setting a time, it's regular it's not going to just completely chuck you in the deep end that you can do something like that. Now, I recognize that John Wesley may not have been happy with that sort of level of commitment to fasting, but sometimes John Wesley can't have what he wants. And I think this is also a starting point, just to introduce the practice into your life. Um, just in closing, coming back to the idea of communion, Remember, we started by talking about food is a good gift from God. It reminds us that God has been good to us, that he has taken care of us. Communion, like I said, is a way of remembering that God has been good to us, that he is taking care of us. And I find it really, really interesting that Jesus starts his ministry by fasting. It's the first thing he does. But then he ends his ministry with a meal. And he invites his disciples to come and take the Passover meal with him. And he takes, he takes the bread, which is over here, and he takes the wine, we have grape juice, and Jesus breaks it, and he says, this is my body that is broken for you. And he says, this, this is my blood, and it's shed for you. He takes what is so common in the ancient world, bread and wine, and he holds it up and says, remember that God is being good to you. That I am sacrificing myself for you. And I'm going to invite you tonight, if you're a Christian... I'm going to invite you to come and partake of this meal with us, to come and eat it with us.